Hello and welcome back to Subject Matter Pros. Um, we'd like to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors, OCSDeals.ca and Branding and Promo for their help and support. Now, we had done a little uh, series a few episodes earlier on how to write resumes and cover letters, how to prepare for an interview. And those episodes were well-received. Um, there was a critical realization that I came upon after I heard them. And, you know, when I got some feedback for some of our listeners was that they all related to the interviewee and what they had to do or people looking for employment and what they had to do. And as I was looking for, uh, you know, more guests for our episodes, um, I got in touch with this lady, um, Carolyn Hobson. And um, she was like, Kunal, you know, I heard your podcast and she presented this thing to me, which really was, which really got me thinking. And she's like, you know, so she's like, do you know any business operators, owners, or managers who are really getting frustrated with the quality of interviews they're having with their candidates? And I'm going, wow, you know what? That's a very important part of the recruitment process because it's a two-way street um, the experience of the candidates and the interviewees is one thing but it's also equally important for the organization to make sure uh, so you know we followed up our emails and then I requested Carrie to come on our show and you know be a guest on it and so with that please welcome Carrie Lynn Hodson hi Carrie welcome to subject matter pros thank you for your time Oh, hi. Nice to be here. So, um, Carrie, you know, you're um, a job interview coach and you're a former senior HR manager, you know, where you were in charge of recruitment for an organization as well. So when you shared that you had that dual, the dual perspective on how the recruitment process works, you know, it's, it's amazing. And I'm so glad that you took the time to listen to some of those episodes and then come in with this angle of how everything works and sharing your expertise to that regards. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, interviewing is a really complex process. You literally do it every single one of these podcasts. I mean, you're trying to draw information out of people. You're trying to get um, the information that you need. And in a job interview, you literally have 30 minutes, 45 minutes to try to figure out if this is the right person for the job. Um and I think people need to start, both candidates and employers need to really start thinking about interviewing in a financial way. This is a business transaction. You as the employer are trying to figure out who's my best return on investment? Who do I invest my money in? Because by the time you hire this person, train this person, get them in the position, if you're giving them benefits, pension, um, you know, professional development, you're investing a lot of money and I'm hoping for a good return. I want you to do well for my organization. And then on the interviewee standpoint, it's also a business transaction because I want to make the money that I'm hoping to make. I need to build my resume. And that was that great podcast you had, right? It's about a resume and we're trying to build it up and get more experience. So I want to know that I'm investing with you as an organization. You've made me all these promises on this job posting and I want to make sure that you also are going to give me those things and that um, I'm the right one for that job. So we're actually interviewing each other. 
And I don't know that people have realized that yet in the interview process. Those are very, uh, you know, key insights. I like that financial approach of thinking of it because even though you have like, like larger companies and have departments and stuff, but for smaller companies, it can get very expensive when you may only have one incumbent in that specific role. And if you hire somebody who's not ideal, now you could have spent two, three months if let's say if you decide to let them go before the probationary period finishes or even longer sometimes, you know, depending upon how their skill evolves and now you've invested all this time. And then, yeah, for the person looking for work too, I mean, do you really want to be jumping ship every so often? Like job hunting is a very cumbersome and tiring process. You gotta, I mean, there's hoops you have to jump through to go through them and doesn't matter. And it's just the way the systems are created. I think that's really where the, the problem lies is that we're classically interviews have been, you know, very dominated by the company that is offering the job posting because now they have an economic opportunity available to people and they're nerve wracking. I've been in interviews where I've had three, four very senior advanced people surrounding me. Like I used to work at a bank and so have like vice presidents and other senior members sitting around a conference table. And here I am, you know, a green shoot wearing a nice, nice looking suit, looking sharp, but <laughs> nervous as hell. Meanwhile, I'm going to be the guy doing all the grunt work and the meat and potatoes of everything that these folks are really doing to generate profitability. So I definitely, you know, we didn't. And then when you watch interview, when you do interview practice, interview tips, with the internet, you see this a lot on social media. There's all kinds of questions that people recommend that you ask the company you're working for. But that comes usually so late down the process that the first part of the interview process is still really, in the interviewee's mind anyways, is spent trying to make a very strong impression because you understand that this is also a highly competitive environment. There may only be one or to or you know, very finite number of available postings with a very high number of applicants because with companies offering remote work opportunities, it increases the pool of available candidates coming into the workplace. Mm-hmm. The cost of application for a lot of folks is relatively negligible because it's all just commitment of time. And if you're looking for an, an opportunity, then you're probably gonna apply. Mm-hmm. So what have you seen in, you know, in both your and from both sides where you've been the one sitting across from the interviewee, asking them the questions and trying to figure out if they would be a good fit. And in your role now where you, it's the dual services you offer, where you also work with organizations to share that element of your background and expertise, but also working with the interviewee to be like, okay, this is how you can make sure that you guys work well together within this organization. Yeah. So I think we can kind of attack it from two angles. So If we think about first the interviewee, you're absolutely right. I don't think people have any idea how many applications actually come in for every job. Um, I hear this from candidates all the time. You know, I applied and I never heard anything. They didn't even answer me. And my response is always, yeah, probably not. Because it said right on the bottom, we will only contact the people who we are interested in interviewing because they've gotten 200, 300 applications for this position. So that's why that other podcast that's valuable for people to listen to is really about, you know, your resume and your cover letter. 
they can't be generic. You need to make them specific to every job that you're applying for, because literally some companies just have systems that scan. If you don't have the right words in there, you're not even going to get looked at. So there's that whole piece. Um, and then interviewing, interviewing is a skill. And so that's the whole job that I run. The business that I run called job interview coach is trying to instill in people that this really is a skill that you need to invest in. And so again, I use the business transaction concept and say, pull out your resume and take a look at it. How much money do you have invested in that piece of paper? How much did your education cost you? How much free volunteer work, co-op work, internships did you have to do to get the experience and the skills you needed to be able to compete for this job? How much did that piece of paper cost you? And now you throw that piece of paper into all these job postings and you think it's going to generate, you know, the interest that it needs to. And it does. Let's say out of the 200, yours floats to the top and you're in the top 20. Awesome. But that's where your investment stopped. And so now you're going into an interview against the other 20 people and you have not practiced these skills. And that's why my email is called practice for success, because you need to practice. I can't tell you how many times I sat as the panelist. I asked the question and I mean, good panelists get to the point. We almost know within the first one to two questions, whether this is going to be a good candidate. Sometimes they surprise you. Sometimes it's just nerves, but usually I can tell because if the questions and the answers they are giving me are really generic if they're like, if I say, please tell me about the, you know, the responsibilities that you anticipate in this position. And they start giving me really generic things that don't even fit my job posting. You didn't even read it. You don't know my organization. You don't know where we're trying to get to in five years. You're not making the connections for me. This, you're not going to excel in this pile of 20. And I work with clients I'll be honest, most times clients come to me after they've already not gotten some of those phone calls back, not gotten some of those jobs they thought they were going to get. And they're rather disappointed and it's discouraging. And I completely understand because you invested a lot in that resume. Um, and then when we start working together and do the one-on-one -on -one coaching, all of a sudden they're like, ow, I think I know why, why I didn't do very well in that interview. Because now you're asking me for way more detail than I gave them. I didn't connect this to the organization. I didn't connect it to why I'm a unique candidate. I didn't connect how I'm going to benefit them. I was just answering the question. Um, it's, it's sad. Like as the panelist, that's why I started this was because I'm a mom. Um, and it was heartbreaking. I could always picture, you know, one of my kids on the other side of this table, so excited about this position and then just watching it crumble into misery. Um, and knowing, oh, like if you had just understood the process, if you just known how to practice, if you just understood, you're not even giving me the right examples. I, I can't help you. We're mid interview. I, I it's, I'm ethically bound. I can't start giving you hints. So that's why I started doing it. So that kind of, I'll stop there. That kind of covers the first piece. And then we can go into the organizational point on the, another, you know, input. Yeah. And like, I've had very similar experiences on my end. So like, like you said, your first statement where you need to practice. I have a nice dog and he's super well trained. And everyone's like, oh, how did you, did you take your dog to training? How did you train? And I'm like, I train him every single day. It's like, you talk to any mm -hmm. professional athlete, they're out practicing for hours at a time. Like, 
if, if you don't do it often enough, doesn't matter how sharp you are at whatever skill you've acquired. If you don't practice it, eventually you're going to get dull and rusty. It's just the way it goes. And I was lucky enough where I went to a good grad school. Um, I went to UFT for a professional master's program. And uh, it was like a hybrid between academic and professional. So you got a little bit more technical stuff and then you had some other professional elements. So your resume is worth lots of money. I know. I, I like that. I was, while he said that, I was actually just going, I should sit there and quantify my resume and just see how, but then yeah. like, you know, some of those, uh, that would be a very high flag of an opportunity cost. I should use that. That would be like a great way to be like, Hey, yeah. so it is, but our program, when we started doing interviews, um, I mean, our program had an internship element and we were lucky enough where one of my cohort, I think, or the one before ours, we formed informal professional development program guidelines and things like that, where we would learn how to write a resume for certain positions, especially when you start mm. getting into slightly more higher paying jobs where there's fewer opportunities, a higher number of candidates, a little bit more screening that goes on for these roles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like you said, our, our episode on resume and cover lighting cover letter writing only really it's, it's wonderful to help you pass the automatic tracking system screen but after that it's a whole new process so yep. and, and the resume is static for what it's worth especially you know when we were applying for a specific kind of role or job within the industries we worked in right because again we're master's program it's got a specialization in its domain so i'm not applying for a lot of variants within where I want to be working after I graduate. And the interview part of it, I never realized how bad I was because I'm still bad at interviews. When I go into interviews, I, I talk too much, give up okay. too much information. Okay. Sometimes my information may be too generic. Okay. I've reflected back. I mean, we're talking, you know, probably like 15 years ago now mm-hmm. when I did some of these interviews. And there's still times where I reflect on, you know, I made it to the second round or the third round of some of these interviews as I'm moving up the ladder, mm-hmm. meeting with more senior folks. And then it would fizzle out and I'm going, you know, there's mm-hmm. these guys who are, if a managing director of a bank is investing an hour of his time and three of them are doing an hour each in sequence, mm-hmm. that's a very high investment from the bank's perspective. So, you know, what went wrong? Why did I not get in? And for a couple of the roles, I was lucky enough where generally speaking this is where networking helps too where you know it helps to be to make it to that 20 out of that 200 who gets called in for an interview is wonderful mm-hmm. but it's also helpful when you have somebody internally within the organization championing for you and okay. that's very easy to do like i mean you don't have to know people you could just have to make an active effort mm-hmm. to, get to connect with them whether they be the person doing the preliminary interview or just like you said learning as an employee i want to learn about the culture of the organization what to yep. expect when i go work there on a full-time basis and I sucked at interviews. And there's so many jobs where I came across when I didn't get them. They said, the boss just thought you weren't sincere enough. Meanwhile, I'm going. Okay. And then I know a lot of folks who were so good at the interview process. Mm-hmm. But sucked on the job. Like they would just constantly be rotating from one organization to the other. Right. And yeah. I, I don't think people understand that. And that is with having access to a, a professional development program while I was in school in that educational mindset, you know, I'm in the learning phase. So it's like a whole yeah. different thing. 
Yeah. But now if you're in, if you're already in the workforce and you're looking to transition or maybe joining the workforce from a lapse of whatever reason that caused you to, you know, not work that moment, we forget about the preparation element. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and there's so many different angles we could take it. Um, so I'll touch on the one aspect quickly about when people say, well, like this person, they're just a really good cha- a talker. They're a really good schmoozer. So they got the job, but they're actually terrible at it. I would have been really good at it. Um, and I've definitely had, you know, those debriefs with both employee employees, you know, attempting to get jobs and frustrated because somebody else gets it and or friends, cohorts, people, sponsors saying like, this person's great. Why didn't you hire them? So it comes down to a few things. And this is where we kind of go to the organizational standpoint. And I think it's really good for people to understand it from an organization standpoint, because if you can understand the parameters I have to work within, then you understand what you have to meet. So for example, um, well, he's great. I know he'd be great at the job. I don't doubt it. That's why he was in the top 20 of the resumes. I too think he could do the job. However, he did not bring it across in an interview. And I call it, he left marks on the table. I I can't give you marks you didn't earn. So I am bound ethically under HR standards um, in Ontario, in Canada, that it would be appealable if you come back and say, well, like I heard you let that other person, like you asked them five extra questions at the end so that you got the answer you wanted them to get. They got, they gave you the details. Oh, could you tell me more? Well, what about this? I saw in your resume, it said this. Did you want to add that? I can't do that. So unfortunately, if you don't give it to me the answer, um, and I loved your insight, like where you said, you know, I realized what I did wrong. I talked too fast. Maybe I'm giving too many details or I'm being too vague. Those are perfect because people will say, but I talked for 20 minutes. I know, but it's not my job as the interviewer to find your answer somewhere in that 20 minute long spiel of stuff you told me. You have to give me the details I need. You have to make the links for me. You need to understand the question. So you're applying for something in banking. So let's say it has something to do with risk management. I'm just throwing it out there. But so it has some, they ask you a question, something to do with um, you're dealing with a client they come in, they're asking you for some financial advice. Um, So what types of risk management, financial management would you do? Would you consider before you advise them on what equities to go into? So I'm asking you that obviously for a purpose, because this is one of the roles you're going to be responsible in this job. So I want to test your understanding. Do you understand why I'm asking it? You need to give me experience and some examples that demonstrate you can actually do it maybe like however that would be either through school or other things. But here's the piece people forget. If you know about my organization, what is it that this bank, as opposed to other banks, because this is a business, so what does this bank specialize in? What, what things would they maybe be wanting you to push with clients? What um, special projects or programs do they have? If you threw that in there too, as one of the things you'd be considering, well, now you're showing me that you've made investment into learning about my organization. And I know that you'd actually be good at this job. Does that make sense? It does. Um, But now, you know, when you're looking at slightly more higher level positions, Mm -hmm. uh, again, like 
mm-hmm. higher level is a bad word, but just where mm-hmm. there's a slightly more regimented re- set of requirements that require pre-screening. Yeah, uh, that's again a mouthful in itself, but yeah, yeah. You know, technical questions is one thing. Mm-hmm. Now we we started this episode off by saying you know that interviewing is a complex, time-bound process. Mm-hmm. So some folks, especially let's say if you're introverted or you're slightly shy or you may not have done enough preparation or you may have done preparation, but you're naturally thing or English is not your first language and you're applying yep. for a role in North America where the interview is going to be held in English. Right. There could be some stressors that may prohibit you from truly acing the interview. Now, the technical points of it, I agree. There is really, I appreciate your investment analogy that, you know, everyone, if, if we all consider ourselves as making an investment, then the effort and the preparation that goes into making investments generally tends to be a little bit more followed through and thought, thought over than just making a decision, just because the way mm-hmm. we're wired and the way we perceive investments. So yes, one of the, the, the job that I landed when I went through my interview process, I ended up getting work, which is kind of nice, you know. <laughs> nice. Uh, and Yes, I did exactly what you said, where I'd done research on the bank, uh, what they specialize in, things they do. And when mm-hmm. I sat there in my interview, I literally regurgitated some of these things yep. just to demonstrate that at least I had taken the effort to mm-hmm. understand how you, and it's funny because in Canada, I mean, for our global listeners, there's only really five banks in Canada right. that all operate the same. Yeah. So it's very hard to find little True. nuances between them that mm-hmm. you can use to express or demonstrate to the interviewers that you've done your homework. But yeah, just those little things, throwing out those random questions just got a lot more value. But adding to that, right? So when you have, and again, not knocking on HR or anything like that, but when you're okay. looking for a, a, a role, how much, and, and there's a lot of different areas of specialization because human resources oversees everything. <laughs> yeah. Finance, yep. you have revenues, you have operations, you have things like that. So there's a lot of specialization that goes into having a lot of knowledge about everything, which, and, and human resources is so complex. Like for example, you sharing some of the rules surrounding the kind of questions you can ask interviewees or how much can you assist an interviewer? Like how do you maintain ethical and fair standards for the interview process? So, I mean, there's a lot of complexities in just your profession that, Unfortunately, it requires you to also have expertise in other domains and other areas of the organization. So how would you be able to, in your shoes, determine, do you get pre sort of, you know, you get some information ahead of time from the desk that's looking to hire, telling you, hey, you know what, make sure they talk about these things. Because how would you be able to validate just the expertise that's coming along? And we're in such a fast moving time frame that even though you may be fantastic at something, you know, how it was done 10 years ago versus how it may be done today could have evolved very significantly. So that may render your understanding of things maybe not up to date to what current trends are. Or sometimes when you're hiring people, because I read a lot of business books, you know, you want to hire for the role and what they bring to it. So sometimes you don't want to bring, you don't want to be thinking too, too far back and okay, how are they going to fit into this? But more so like, hey, how are you going to contribute to my organization going forward? How are you going to make it better and grow? Right? How are we mm-hmm. going to generate that ROI on our company? Mm-hmm. So yep. how do you circumvent that challenge where like, what kind of level of understanding does the HR have of the role? Because 
qualitatively, yes, it's all in your domain. Doing, making sure that they're right fit in terms of a lot of their background and other processes, yes, it's all in your domain. But mm -hmm. how, with regards to specialization, specialization for the position, and mm -hmm. let's assume that it's not a group interview where you don't have somebody from an engineering department or someone like that, because I'll give a perfect example. I don't know programming. So if I sat in on a programming interview, let me tell you, everything would fly a few inches above my head because I wouldn't know what kind of technical answers yeah. you're giving and how to verify them. How do you circumvent that challenge as an HR individual, as a company? So first, huge shout out to any HR staff listening to this podcast, because by far one of the hardest jobs I've ever done, um, because organizations... And it's a very thankless job. Sorry to interject. But oh. Everyone always hates HR. It's like, yep. if you hire bad, it's your problem. If you hire yep. good, it was a candidate. If something doesn't work, HR was shit. Like, it's just something yep. where... And you're not working fast under the bus. Like, here, it's a thankless role. People yep. think it's not revenue generating. It's dead weight loss. And I, I get it. There's there's a lot of grief that, like, HR is not very well appreciated. And the value that bring to the organization is not universally well appreciated. So... I think it's going to start to be... Um, so as we talk about how organizations are evolving, I think it will be because the reality is, um, you know, as a result of many things, generational changes, um, people really believing in work-life balance, um, mental health, uh, COVID, like because of a lot of the changes that we've had, businesses are going to have to become more people focused, like it or not. That's just the way it is. And that is what um, I mean, human resources, even that um, now people are being um, given titles like uh, people culture director, right? People because we're not resources, like human resources. It sounds a little bizarre, really. Um, so, but your question of, you know, how is an HR supposed to be able to be the be all end all and organizations do it differently. So in some organizations, the HR staff just put, puts out the posting um, puts together the job profile based on whatever the manager or supervisor um, says to put in it um, and then runs the process that way. So they're not necessarily involved in it. Uh, from a personal standpoint, I think that's a mistake um, because, um, and we can get into that later too, but I'm writing a book for organizations and in it I, I say, be very careful about assumptions that you make on who is the perfect job fit. And are you in fact just trying to hire a mini me? And many times a manager will write down things that, for your example, if I've been managing in this branch for 20 years, I have the following expectations for this job. But if we look at our strategic goals, again, business, money, return on investment, if we look at our strategic goals where we are trying to move this organization to, does that viewpoint actually make sense anymore? Should we be trying to hire a mini me because the risk will be they're going to run the organization the same way, yet strategically we've said we need to move this way, which means we may have to come up with somebody who analytically thinks different than us, who wants to take it a different approach, who's very creative, who comes now from a business school with different innovative thought. So sometimes those are the challenges that even from an HR standpoint you have just in putting out the job posting. What are we going to include in it? What are we looking for? Education is a huge one. People have very different cultural and um, kind of social um, expectations of education. And there's a huge debate now about whether people should even be asked for a resume anymore. Should you just be, you know, meeting the person? And I, you know, I, I um, see you thinking about that one. Like, what are our thoughts on it? 
and there's some changes to that too. Like, you know, we talked, I touched a little bit about programming. That's something that really interested me. Uh, I speak five languages as I was learning mm. another one. Uh, my business partner's like, hey man, you know what? Why do you want to learn another language? You're like, yeah. why don't you learn a computer language? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's more feature-proof. And it got me thinking, I'm like, you know what? You, you got a point, my friend. I got to learn programming. Like if I'm going to mm-hmm. think, I like breaking my brain. It gives me, makes me happy. <laughs> and with programming, you know, I'm, I'm doing this course and I've been a part of a couple networking groups uh, just again, because it's a very open source everybody helps each other kind of community. It's wonderful how mm-hmm. I was blown away. Like, you know what, people have this misconception about how programmers might be, or they may be awkward or nerdy or geeky. No, they're nothing like that. They're just awesome. Yeah. People. yeah you're going to have an odd representation do something, whatever. But on the whole, they're the most helpful, you know, united sort of community that exists out there. But Completely what, agree. Yeah. What I was trying to, the point I was trying to bring for education was in that challenge surrounding you is nowadays, a lot of these guys say when you're applying for jobs, you don't even need to have formal education. What because mm-hmm. what they're looking for is your ability to do the job. So, right. like, let's say if someone like me at an older age in my life, I decide to learn programming, I get myself to be proficient. You may have a bachelor of science degree that you went to university for, and then on your resume, you're like, oh, that's a sixty thousand dollar investment that I made. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily translate to your in your ability to do the job. Whereas no. someone like me, who may be self taught through YouTube or any other online courses and I pick up some languages around now I'm actually building modules, doing things mm-hmm. that's automatically going to allow me to deliver more value to the organization. And in tech organizations are seeing that. So now when they're looking for certain roles, education is not even, is, is something that they're willing to bypass in some traditional roles. Yes. It's mandatory. Let's say if you're going through insurance or finance or accounting or law yeah. or certain institutions just have a process that you have to adhere to. But the new generation, and this is where a lot of the jobs are going to really come from, because mm-hmm. as automation comes into play, a lot of antiquated jobs are no longer relevant. Banking being the perfect one. You look at how lean banks operate now. They almost have no tellers. Yeah. There's no individuals inside. Whereas back in the day, a bank was, you'd have lineups yep. out the door, because that was the only way to do any financial transaction. Yeah. So how do you go about challenges like that? You know, Because like, you yep. talked about hiring mini-me, so managers will give you a list of must-haves. But how do you filter education when education is no longer a quality determinant of that first screen? So a very deep question. Um, and so we, you know, like there's a whole nother arena of what I talk about where I have to do a lot of work with leaders and organizations to try to explain, you know, what are our own behaviors, preferences, biases, assumptions, and, this and why are, book. pardon? This, this is all content that you're, that's going to be in your, in the book that you said. Yeah, you're yeah. Through? Yeah. And, and it all, I mean, it all ties in. So there's that whole standpoint, like, what are we even going to put into this job description? If we talk about education, so people have often asked me, well, um, I want to apply for this job, but I don't have an educational background in that. I have something else. I, I went to school, let's say for history and the job that I would like to apply for is in business. How am I going to make these correlations for them? Education and the reason why we get education is because it proves skill sets. It proves competencies. You prove your, like anybody who has done school knows that you better be able to multitask and prioritize when you go to school. You have to be able to work independently. You're going to have to do some teamwork. You're going to have to analytically problem solve. We're going to give you essay questions and I don't want you to just answer it. I want you to think your way through it. I want you to um, strategize. I want you to research. I want you, right? Right. 
So school, that's what it gives you. It gives you all these fantastic abilities. Do I believe in education? Absolutely. I've gone back to school like three, four different times because that's just the way it is. So, and I also have um, kids who some of them are all through school and I have one just on the teetering of university. And my thing I've always said to all of them is go and take something you enjoy. The key is to do it and finish it. So it's on that resume because I know the skill sets that you're going to get out of it that's the important piece. It's not necessarily what the degree title is. And then those skills are universally transferable. And then sometimes oh, 100%. part of the degree, it just signals whether you did more analytical work or whether you did more things such as writing. Because like, you know what? I couldn't write essays. Like I, like I did more mathematical problem solving style. And when I had to write essays, I would dread writing a 15, 20 pager. And then you have folks who I just wrote a 65, you know, 65,000 word book. Yeah. Right. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum, individuals like yourself who could just hammer this off on a consistent basis. Yeah, no, those are, that's exactly what, you know, what that I agree with you completely that all what education is, is a signal for your ability to complete things and all the other soft traits that you mentioned sometime back. But how do you look past that though? Because I mean, there's still a I mean, we're, we're evolving. So this is obviously moving forward, but what kind of things can you do to get people to be a little bit more open-minded about it? Um, Data-driven. So, because people need the analytics behind it. I mean, and that's why I talk in numbers of like return on investment, equity, you know, how much does your resume cost? How much money are you investing as a business to hire somebody? I have this, I call it a retention calculator. How much money does it literally cost you each time you do not retain an employee? And there's a whole series of things that you have to go through as an employer. So once yeah, we kind of yeah. talk, go ahead. For that retention calculator, I had a little yeah. cheat question that I was, uh, that someone yeah, yeah. done this dirty trick where what if you hired, have they done, has any company done this where, you know, they need one position filled. So what they'll do is because determining who's the best candidate in three hours, five hours, whatever little bit yeah. of time, impossible. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have three stars that you've narrowed it down to. Yeah. How many companies hire all three people and then decide to retain just the best performing or the most competent? And then how does that translate to the profitability or the return on investment for an employer versus hiring just one six months later, that person is not ideal. And then you go through this game one more time and so on and so forth. It's a great approach um, from an equity and inclusion standpoint. I unethical. I think it's shit. You're well, and, and that's where I would be very cautious with like, And again, I never tell people that an idea is a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. It's an idea. So let's explore it. So if an employer came to me and said, here's what I think we're going to do. We're going to hire all three and we're going to see which one like rises to the top. It's not a bad idea. However, how are we going to make this an equitable process? First, we need to explain to the candidates, you know, what you're planning to do here. Again, this is a, this is an investment transaction between both of us. So you got to make this worth my time. I was planning to apply for a full-time job and now you're making it like a three-month contract where I have to like, I'm, is this a competition between the three of us? Additionally, what um, organizations are also starting to do is now I've read a, a lot and listened to a lot about this three, four, five, six interview process. Now do a big presentation. Now do this. Now come in and work for free. And from a business perspective, I completely get it. I understand because the employer's feel like they're getting burned, they're picking the wrong candidates, and they're trying to make sure they're picking the right candidate. It's a method to validate hard skills too, because it's like, hey, if you give me a spreadsheet and say, hey, analyze this data, give me some of these, what insights could you deduct from this? 
just to let him know how your brain thinks. But then you run into the problem of, hey, this manager is a mini me. He, I want him to look at data in the same way as me. I have a background mm-hmm. in finance. Like I went to school for, I have a master's yeah. in financial economics. So I understand just how powerful data can be and how you can spin it in whatever way you, whatever deduction you want to draw, a correlation, yep. draw from data based on how you present it. But yep. how do you overcome like, you know, things like that? Because again, sorry, I'm just, I keep- Oh, there's so many things. Like this is why- yeah, There's little nuances topic. that help mm-hmm. give a lot more clarity to the entire- process because it's not as linear as oh this is how it should be done or that way no and it has to so again there's a whole bunch of stuff and that's why organizationally the big piece i say to organizations if if we're going to if you're really interested and you're really curious about how to improve some of these processes then we have to start with the people here first we have to start with the leaders and we've got to do, do some honest vulnerable look at who are we what are our expectations where might these biases start to show up and what are we going to do about them? How are we going to tackle them so that we stay really open-minded and curious about the people presenting to us? So just because they don't have a degree in this, are we still curious in bringing them in? If we want to learn more about what they're doing, how are we going to do that in a fair and equitable way that we get to learn what we want to learn, but we're not you know, taking the intellectual property of this person who, again, you invested $100,000, let's say, into that you know, your resume and your knowledge. And now I bring you in and I say, here, please do this project for me. Well, the risk of that is now I say, okay, no, we're not selecting you. We're selecting one of the other two candidates. But what did I do with that intellectual property? I told you to hand in that 12 page assignment and that PowerPoint. And then unethically, some companies will then use that as part of their next strategic plan. Well, that's not yours. That's, that's unethical. And that's really good for organizations. Are you serious? That, do things like that happen where companies yeah. will create yeah. fake op, you know, in order to get projects delivered, yeah. they yeah. create job postings and get the, wow. I, you know what? That's something that's so low. I would never have thought that there would be a high number of, because Reddit has a famous anti-work subreddit. And I mean, if I'm not sure if you follow it or not, but there's enough posts from that that are circulating all over the internet on every news thing. And Makes sense as to why people hate working for certain individuals because that is really scummy behavior where if you're going to use something, yes. I mean, giving people a test of, you know, random data that doesn't matter and getting them to right. do things or like, you know, build me an interface that allows people to log in. Yeah. Something general that demonstrates competency is one thing. Yes. To get somebody to deliver a deliverable that you have. You need to do. Yeah. And like, it, it, from my viewpoint, like, now I have five different folks who specialize in the same thing, giving me five different sets of presentations. Mm-hmm. And I can create a mosaic and pick and choose which elements I want and create a really powerful ones. I mean, yep. that's low though. I never knew companies there were that existed companies that did this often enough for you to bring it up on the show. Um, yeah, I listen to a lot of, um, I'm in a lot of like interviewing forums. I've listened to a lot of um, EDI conversations around, um, you know, this topic. Now, I'm always cautionary, too, because from an organizational standpoint, they may not know what they don't know. Like they may have thought this was a great idea. If they came a pro, a, a, you know, around it. Not fraudulently, they were thinking, oh, well, we have this project coming up, we'll get people to do presentations on it. Right. So but the problem is, how does that appear to the candidate? How did that make the candidate feel? And. How is this going to impact you as an organization? Because in, let's say, your values, morals, 
um, mission vision that's on the website, it says integrity is your number one. Well, guess Cross what? that off the list. Right. Marketing, you just damaged yourself because like you said, in the day of social media, that person is now on making these comments about, you know, hey, that presentation they're presenting, those were my, my, my ideas. Now, were they your ideas? Maybe they were, maybe they're, maybe they're culmination. I don't know what the other five people presented on, but it's appearance. So I think hiring process from both sides is very complex. It's not simple. And I think one of the things that I, everybody needs to slow down. I think candidates are just like hammering in resumes, you know, hit, send, hit, send, hit, send. And they're not putting the time and energy into that, that they need to in each one. And I think organizations are getting frustrated because they can't find the right candidates. They're, they're not retaining their candidates. And it's because they keep doing things the same way over and over looking for the same people. So then what they do is they add more processes. Okay, well, now we'll do a test. And now we're going to do a presentation. And now I'm going to get four references. And now, and then in the end, all they did was spend more time, money on how much it was cost to bring people in. And it still didn't result in anything better. And it's because we all need to slow down and figure out what are we missing? And we're missing some really key links. That's very deep. Um, I know you shared earlier about uh, people skill versus process skill. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's we, we really have to slow down because when you look at something like an average person, let's, let's uh, do a quick little search on, you know, or like, let's say, if, do you know, what's the average number of positions somebody applies to when they're looking for a new job? Oh, that's a great question. So if you're in the ballpark, again, I know it varies from industry. I bet you, I bet you 25 because, well, I have um, uh, a friend that's currently looking for a job and yeah, they go on to Indeed and then they just start clicking. Okay, I'm going to apply to this job and this job and this job and this job. Oh, and that's the worst. As an employer, do not send me a generic resume that's not even addressed to me, to whom it may concern, Kate, or the wrong name, the wrong organizational name, brutal, going in the garbage. And then you're, and one of my jobs is, you know, attention for detail. That's one of the requirements, right? Yeah. No, I know it's true. Like you put like a simple process or like people will, they, they'll make the recruitment process sort of, like you said, like a, a, they'll give you directions and just to see how well are you able to follow. Be like, hey, okay, I request you to do these steps in order yep. to submit an application. Were you able to just even read them? Cause they're not extremely hard to follow it's just a set of directives please send your email resume to this email address to this yep. like, yeah just to see if you actually because that translates to your real world working ability mm -hmm. so many so many of this like and that's why people don't realize too your interview is not just about the questions i'm asking if your interview if part of the presentation or part of the role of this job is that you're going to have to do presentations you're going to have to teach well then I'm going to be measuring your communication in this interview, even if it's just how you present yourself in the interview. If you show up and clearly you didn't get, you know, you rushed in and you're not dressed well and subconsciously your interviewer is thinking like part of your job is representing our company, going out and teaching or going out and presenting. And this is how you present yourself for an interview. So I think that's where I find people need to think about all angles of the job. How am I testing and what am I testing? It might be something as easy as the instructions in an email. That's a great example. Um, things like give, being given a written interview question. Oh, well, I wasn't expecting it. 
well, like one of the things you have to do is business reports in this job. So I actually need to see whether you can construct a sentence and a paragraph and, you know, get your point across. Yes. So many people. And this is where people need to be honest with themselves, very honest with yourself. And it's to no one's fault. If this is not your skill set, or to your point, if it's something you're rusty on, all you ever do is text. You never write an email to anybody. You never construct anything that actually sounds concise, beginning, middle, end. You know, here's what I know what you need to do. Uh, it's not a good, big, long, rambly email. Then you need to practice or go on, um, you know, Google or Microsoft. There's a million free courses and take a quick one on email etiquette, etiquette or business writing so that when you have to demonstrate it in the interview, you've, you have some knowledge to fall back on. And the only way you can do that is if you are preparing ahead of time. So many people get upset because they're like, well, I applied for this job and I didn't hear anything for two months. And then they've contacted me and my interviews in two days. Like that's not, that's not fair. They only gave me two days. No, actually they gave you two months in two days. You applied for the job two months ago, but nobody starts preparing. Well, you should have been going through, you should have been doing this before you even applied to the job. If you knew they wanted you to be um, exceptional in Excel, I am not, I am terrible at Excel. I will openly comment on that. So if I knew I was applying to a job where I'm going to have to demonstrate that skill, I would be on taking some Excel courses because I can fully anticipate they're going to give me that as a test. Well, I'm not trying to lose it. Yeah, like, yeah. No, that, that, that makes, and I was exactly the kind of person you talked about because in my professional development program, I never started practicing for interviews until we started getting them, you know, because the first part was just, oh, yep. work into my ah. resume and cover letter. I didn't even think that way. So yes, I am that guilty <laughs> who thought of the process in discrete steps and yep. not as one continuous sort of entity. But going talking about slowing down. So, you know, we talked about a, a, a candidate submitting a large number of Mm-hmm. resumes and submissions for their candidacies consideration companies now how much have these automated tracking systems mm. ruined the process because what it's done is by incorporating technology i mean it's it's a pro and a con because now we've learned that it's almost like technology is very logically driven so to some degree you can gamify it and it's only now that we're really getting into artificial intelligence where they understand there's a little bit more ability to deduct and reason. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of existing technology is very switch-based, on or off. So if you figure out how to game the system, then yeah. you're going to have a much higher degree of success relative to somebody who maybe is playing a little bit thing. How much of, like, how would we slow down? Because it's true, like, the, the problem really is, is the... It, the process has become such a game where we don't understand that we're dealing with livelihoods because your decision to work at an organization as a business owner, it impacts my company's long-term survival. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you as the person who's a part of the team, almost every company has some sort of benefit tied to the employee when there's positive gains made, whether it be through stock or bonuses or gifts or parties. Mm-hmm. Sure. Does it vary across a broad range? Yes. But every contributor to a team success 
does get some benefit, however trivial it may appear to the outsider. That's different. Mm -hmm. But there's yeah. always something to be had. Plus, you want, if you have a family, if you want certain things, you want to have the peace of mind knowing that this finance lifestyle we live in North America can be met on a daily basis. So, you know, there's no, I don't want to apply to a job with the intention of, um, you know, three months from now, I'll take a vacation. For, like, I don't have that luxury. You know, the goal is you're in a role, you grow within the organization, you have a good fit with the team. I mean, now we're working remotely. So, you know, I'll, I'll get to that question in a second. But I think we forget just how serious the entire process is. And so many companies, especially tech companies, they have folks who are in their early 20s in HR. Could you yeah. talk a little bit about just how that youth translates? Let's say if I'm 40 and applying for a role where I have a 23-year-old or 22-year-old recent university graduate, you know, very well versed in whatever academia they learned, how does that translate to like, because that's another part of the process that we could touch upon, because this mm -hmm. is very serious stuff. We're talking about livelihoods in question, mm -hmm. and we're making that into games where now we're dealing with, hey, how do I manage my boss's egos? How do we go about doing this? Like, it's, it's just uh, like, tech, it's, I don't think we're using technology to its best benefit, especially given how much information is available everywhere. Well, and I think like when we spoke about the screening um, technology, I think there are, I, I understand it because I've literally worked in the systems where we get two and 300 emails or uh, resumes per job. And we were trying to hand bomb them, you know, and is the, can those be subjected to personal bias? Yes, they can. So the idea of bringing um, systems in was to remove the bias, but I have to input the data that I wanted to look for. And so by that, I've still, I'm still creating a bias because now I'm not diversifying the people that I could meet, the people that potentially might bring some completely different aspects that I have never, I've never made the connection between you being a pharmacist and now transitioning to um, engineering. Like it, it didn't occur to me, but maybe there's some great correlations that you as the pharmacist can make for me. So, and I talk about that in the book too, about the fact that we have to be really careful on our assumptions because we look at a resume and we make assumptions. Oh, like obviously this person's just like waiting. They just applied because they're looking for something else. And this is just going to be a transition. We're not going to hire them. I haven't even met this person. Maybe there's a very good reason why they want to leave that, you know, educational background. And, and, um, and I mean, that's a whole nother piece that I can get into, but I've met some fantastic candidates who, when they start to explain it to me, it was just unbelievable aha moments going, wow, you know, thank you for giving me those correlations. You knew that you needed to do it in the interview. You knew that, you know, as the, as the panelist, I'm not going to be able to, to make these connections. You need to do it for me. But the fact that you've now done it, I'm thinking you are probably one of the most unique candidates that I'm going to meet in this. And, you know, I, I think I can give you this opportunity because it's going to benefit my organization. And you've just explained why. So there's risks to using systems that are literally going to weed people out that I'm never even going to meet them. So if I was an organization, I was making those, um, using those for you know, processes, because your HR staff cannot do everything. They're not robots, they're humans too. Um, you need to do some auditing, you need to be able to go back, you need to start looking at some of the ones that, you know, which ones were a complete no, 
but where's our middle ground? Like maybe we set, and it's like, it's all marks. So let's say we set the mark at 25 and over, we look at them, but who was in our kind of 18 to 23 range? What were they presenting? Because as an organization, we need to understand who's applying to our jobs, who's showing interest in our organization. And you know what, if you're not sure, reach out and ask them, call them. Hey, I, I saw your application. And some people were like, oh no, it was just an automatic system. It just sends you everything. Okay, no, thank you. Click. But every once in a while you found somebody who was like, oh yeah, I was really hoping I'd have the opportunity to at least speak to you. Thank you for calling me. Here's my interest. Huh, put them in the pile. So I think as a business, we just need to make sure we're doing that auditing so that we're not narrowing our scope too much right from the beginning. Um, and then we talked about like other things where, you know, you have to, it's that you have to have enough that you're measuring the people, but then also recognizing you don't know what they don't know. And they don't know what they, they don't know what, how well they can do in this job because they've never done it. Yeah, They don't know what you want. Like, you know, they don't know what you want. So this is nervous. There's too many factors out there that there's, yeah, it, so much information asymmetry in the process. So one of the things I do with organizations too, is the fact that it comes down to marketing. How are you marketing this job? Are you using the same system you've always used? Are you just creating a job posting? So I'll give you another correlation that I'm actually making for the mining industry. Um, I didn't, I didn't grow up with mining. I don't really know anything about mining. Um, but sometimes that's the best viewpoint for people. And that's some of the work I do for organizations. I don't need to know that you are an, a, like an IT tech company. I don't need to know this because it's actually better that I don't. I come in and do an aerial view and say, here's what I'm seeing. And here's the gaps. Here's what I've talked to people about. And here's what's happening. So mining, here's an example. Um, mining has diversified. So typically, if people think of hearing mining, they're probably thinking of mines, underground work. Um, it is so technically driven now. It's fascinating. A lot of the people doing the mining are not even underground. Some still are, but some are running massive trucks, you know, using Video you know, game technology stuff, to do it. They, they don't even go underground. No. There's also this mammoth industry of companies that um, their production supplies, sales for mining. You'll never go to a mine. You'll never work in a mine. You just work within the mining industry and what opportunities to those businesses provide you. And they are literally everything from like security. So you're thinking of policing. Well, there's mining security companies. There's um, mining global companies where you can be in Australia and then you can go to Africa and be doing different, different work. There's engineering. There's, there's so many different aspects. But I'm, what I'm talking to that industry about is the fact that how do you market this? Because I know that you know your industry really well, but I just looked at this job posting and I have no idea what it means. No. So if you want to attract new people, new potential people, you need to make a video. You need to bring them into your organization and show them what it looks like. Because the risk is one, you're going to miss out on great people because they didn't, they just going through Indeed, they cursed over your entire section because they don't even know what it is. And two, you're going to get people that apply to your job thinking they knew what it was. Six months later, they come in and go, oh, this is not what I thought it was. And they leave. And now you've all that wasted investment, huge waste in productivity because you're down people, huge morale issue because the other coworkers are sick and tired of people coming in, leaving, coming in. You're, you're down economically because it costs you somebody to train that person. 
So now your hundred percenter, who's your best employee was training this other trainee. So they're down to like what, 60% of their production. The other person's only producing like 25% because they have no idea what they're doing. So what could have been, you know, eventually 160%, now we're down to 60% again. And it affects morale, it affects productivity, it affects your customers because your customers are frustrated, they keep dealing with new people. Like it's over and over and over, but it's marketing. I don't know what I'm applying for and I can't bring you new candidates because I don't even know what they're, I don't know what the job is. So I think businesses just need to slow down and stop trying to do things the same way over and over and over is my point. And that we just need to do it differently and it will be better both for you and for the for the interviewee wanting to apply for these jobs. Now, what if you did something interesting where, you know, you're looking for a specific role to be filled and you have great people on your team. How do you know that they're not too nervous to apply for that role that's within there? How are they being made aware? Like are a lot of companies mm. taking the necessary steps to promote internally, because if I've been with an organization for a few years, I'm comfortable in my role, I'm enjoying it. Some people don't want to necessarily be that active in constantly moving within yep. the organization. They may be nervous, there may be other things. And with this candidate here, you have a bunch of beautiful things. They know the culture, you know who they are, you know yep. how they contribute, you, they know the systems, they, they know what how things are going to be, you know what they're capabilities are like they've already demonstrated everything to you yep. so how often do you see companies doing this or not doing this where they don't leverage their own internal resources you know where <laughs> in, a, in a big organization you'll have an internal job posting where some candidates will look i mean most times when people are leaving a company it's usually cultural reasons it's almost very very rarely the actual work that causes people to leave it's the leader most professionals love what they do. So like if they mm -hmm. really enjoy doing something, mm -hmm. there's going to be a bad, good days, bad days, all kinds of things in between. But a lot of people that I know, especially folks who earn a lot of money, they really enjoy the work they do because a lot of these guys are wealthy enough to not work and live a modest life until they pass on, right? So they do this purely for the joy of it. And let's assume that the organization cultural misfit doesn't exist. So how do you really engage people to like, you know, look with it internally rather than applying externally? How do you get employers to change that mindset? What's a good balancing act for something like that? So um, the stats that I did for my book, um, one of the, I did a survey um, and one, my stats came out at almost 80% of people that leave their employer. The reason is supervision, leadership. So that's culture basically. Yeah. So. So that's the reason I'm leaving. Yes. And the reason, and so again, I went into a whole bunch of different aspects, but when we talk about performance assessment, so this is where it's like, what are your goals for the next two years? What are the goals for the next three years? Are you asking your employees? Do you have certain expectations as a leader, what their goals should be? You know, are you, maybe you don't even know who would actually be interested in that job because you, you haven't asked anybody. Um, what are you doing to empower them? What opportunities are you getting them to giving them to mentor in that position? Let's say um, what professional development are you giving them while they're here so that they can actually apply for the job? Because maybe there's certain qualifications or training that they're going to need to be able to, you know, move into that position. 
really effective supervisors look at all these different aspects and they engage with their employees and they make them feel valued and they hear them. And by doing that, I want to be really invested in this organization. I want to stay and I want to be able to utilize all my different skills. So now, because I trust you as my supervisor and because you've asked me this and you've built this relationship, now I'm going to trust a little more to actually tell you that I'm interested in that other position. Because this is one of the things, sometimes people don't go for internal positions because they're really, um, it's shame and fear of being judged. Because think about it, like the people that are going to be in that interview panel are the bosses, the managers in your organization. I don't want to go into that and look bad. I don't want, I don't want to fail because that impacts how they see me as an employee. A lot of it has to do with confidence. And so I've seen a lot of people not apply for jobs internally for exactly that reason. They'd rather go apply outside and do an interview outside than do one in their own organization and fail it. That's actually, I never really thought of that angle. It's true. Cause you know, let's say if, yeah, if you're in a role and then you don't, they find an external candidate oh. who happens to be a better match than you, that could have a domino effect of psychological effects across the entire company. Cause now you think, like you said, yeah. maybe you're not good enough. Yeah. Colleagues think that, Hey, this person, now I'm maybe better than them because you weren't promoted for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And it could be just, and if we go right back to the beginning, it literally be, could be because it's not that you're not skilled for the job. You just didn't practice for the interview. You, you didn't work on how to prep for the interview. So you actually could have been a fantastic candidate, but it didn't come across and people expect, well, because I work here, you know what I do because you know, because I work here, you, you should give me credit for that. No, I can't. Just like that external candidate, you have to tell me, you've got to make the connections. If you're trying to diversify within the organization and move from one specialty to another, you have to treat me like you've never met me. And that's one of the key pieces of advice I give to people. I don't care if you work there, treat those panelists like you've never met them. They don't know anything about you and start from that mindset because you'll do a better interview. You won't make, be making assumptions about and they won't make assumptions about you. There is nothing better than interviewing somebody internally and they tell you something and they make a connection and literally like you want to start cheering and say, good for you, because nobody here was thinking of that connection and you just made it. Or maybe on the in the background, you've been thinking about this job for a long time and you've taken specialized training. I didn't know that. I had no idea because you've been doing it on your own. And now you tell me about this you know, postgraduate degree you just did or some specialized training or some experience you got somewhere else. Uh Good for you. Yeah. That's the stuff that's going to sell. That's really, that's, that's some great quality tips, you know, because these are things that um, like, especially for me, like a lot of these ways of thinking are relatively new, you know, Mm -hmm. I haven't worked for someone in a very long time. So I never had to move and, but just going over those uh, those challenges, yeah, because you do have a, like nobody really short of you just being directly promoted to a better title within your work tree. You don't see mm-hmm. a lot of. There's not a lot of uh, people who like to do lateral moves or diagonal moves or horizontal moves, whatever you you may call that. Yeah, I, I think there are people that want to, but I think the fear and the confidence. And then organizationally, sometimes they never get considered because the leaders aren't even aware of it. And so this is that importance of having dialogue and conversations and meaningful conversations and getting to know the people that you're leading. It's so important. 
And that almost goes back to like the performance reviews, right? Because if mm -hmm. your buyers are done with, hey, where do you want to be? If, if people can openly express what kind of role changes or things like that they would have, then perhaps you can even create programs. Because yeah, like for a company, yeah. we're just as good as the team you are. Yep. It doesn't matter what product you sell. Mm -hmm. if the team is not that good. It's going to reflect across everything else. So if you have an all-star team, then you might as well. Now, one of the things, um, you know, just a little bit, just, just pivoting a little bit. I read this book by um, the guy who founded Netflix. Uh, it's a pretty cool read. It's called The Heart Things. No, it's called No Rules Rules. So it's about the Netflix culture. Okay. And one of the things he talks about in that book is, you know, they have a, interestingly, before I tell you what kind of things they do, their retention rates, quitting rates, everything that they have is still exactly as per the industry standard, which mm -hmm. is so absurd, which goes back to just, this is a human process at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how much you have. People are still people. Mm -hmm. They're still going to do the random, the same things. You can slice the bread in a different way or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's people you're dealing with. And what he does is he promotes, actively sort of promotes that his team members one, they go and look for jobs outside so they can see what mm. people who are qualified as them would be earning or what kind of other opportunities would they have because now they can internally look for that. And then B, they're always asking their supervisors to ask the question that, you know, if I let this person go, would there be, like, how badly do I want this person basically? Like, do I mm. really, really need them or can we replace them? Because if you can replace them, then you should be replacing them. Mm -hmm. If you can't let them go, then give them a raise because you really need them on your team, right? So they created this really hyper-competitive culture. Now, com competition is, is a double-edged sword too because you got to be careful. You want collaboration mm -hmm. without stifling competition. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's really, really hard to do when everybody wants a bigger piece of a pie. So unless the pie is growing and your piece is growing with it, mm -hmm you're eating someone else's food, right? So it's, it's a touchy subject. Any thoughts on method, methodology like that for you know, your internal, for having your existing team members you know, rise to the top or something that, or what else have you seen that works for companies? Well, I think so. The first piece I think is, um, again, when we talk about kind of assumptions that yes, retention rates are not going to be what they have always been. Like if we look, think about generationally, we anticipated people were going to stay with an employer. Oh, I love my employer. I'm staying for the next 20, 30 years. No, people will have an estimated 15 careers in their time, in their lifetime now. And it's not a case of, because, you know, it's only contract work or it's only part-time work. No, that's not what it's all about. It's about the fact that we are a culture of growth. We're a culture that wants to diversify. People are not as, afraid to try something new. I've literally pivoted in my own career at least three, four, five times now. Um, and so think about it. You know, if you get to a certain point in your career and I've given this organization what I can give and, you know, I've taken what I can take and now it's time for me to move on. So that is going to happen. And that's where employers just need to accept that. They get really frustrated. Well, you know, we had the person for six years and they left. Good for you. You had them for six years Make sure that when you have them for six years, you've invested in them, you've built them up to be the person that you have, because you know what's going to happen? That person is your brand. 
That person is the organizational brand. And when they leave, they are telling their friends that was a great place to work. In fact, I've recommended a couple people to come and work here. That's your legacy. You treat that person well, they are going to continue to benefit your organization. They're taking their network with them, but guess what? You're part of their network. So now when they work somewhere else, they're going to be recommending your organization, et cetera, et cetera. So I think part of what I try to do is like get people to kind of think of the bigger picture. Don't go so narrow on getting frustrated. And I think it's just, no, actually, that's not that's not a bad thing. This is a great thing. So let's take a look at it. So I don't know if that answers the first question. Um, and then the next part about teams. Oh, I love teamwork. I love building team synergy. Um, and I think <laughs> so. I always give people sports analogies, too. I'm Canadian. Um, so if you think of a hockey team, uh, you're a hockey coach. Every season you get a new team. You got new players. Um, so your defenseman this year is not your defenseman from last year. Your so even how this team works together, how they move on the ice, how they talk to each other, how they pass the puck, how they figure out their plays, it's not the same. And again, I find people get really frustrated because it's like, wow, like last year's team was great. And now that person left and I got this new person and they don't fit with our team. Well, that's because you want the team to keep functioning the way they always did, playing the way that they did. But the reason we change players in sports is because maybe we need to play differently. We need to add some new elements in, right? I don't need every defenseman to play exactly the same way. So don't look at it as a negative. If you've added a new player to your team, you need to slow down. Don't just hammer into processes and start working on projects. Slow down. Help everybody figure out who's on this team. Let's get to know each other. What are your skill sets? What are your interests? What are your strengths? How do you operate? What do you need from me? What do I bring to the team? What do you bring to the team? And then we will create really good collaborative work, really good communication. We can figure out how to work out conflicts in the team because every, every team is going to have conflicts, especially really high functioning teams. So that's, I find every time we get, we lose an employee or we get an employee, there's too much assumptions and we don't spend the time that we need. I give lo lots of analogies. I'm very visual. So if you, we think of a pyramid, it's the base of the pyramid that's your strong, solid point. And we want the person to rise to the top in the organization, in their job. But you didn't invest anything in the base. You just expected them to just take off, be a great team player, stay with the organization, do so well, rise in the organizational chart, but you invested almost nothing in the base. You didn't get to know them. You don't know who they are. So you don't even know how to utilize and leverage this person very well. There's so many missed opportunities, but this is the stuff I love. Like this is, I love. And when I teach people on interviewing, I teach them this stuff and say, this is the stuff you need to sell in your interview. All these things that you will bring to that organization. How are you a different defenseman? Why do they need you on this team? Where strategically do you see this team trying to get to? What information and skills and experience can you bring them that they've never had before? So the better you know you, the better you can sell it in an interview, the better the organization understands who they need and where they're trying to get, the better they get to learn the people that they are hiring, the better the whole system works. But 
sometimes you need to bring people in because you don't know what you don't know. So for interviewing, you need to bring in a coach and help have them help you pull all this stuff out for you because you don't know how to describe your own skills if you've never had to and correlate them to this job in that organization. And as organizational leaders, you don't realize your own gaps. You don't realize systems that you're doing the same way over and over and over again, because you're just running, trying to keep the, the plane flying and everything working, and you haven't had time to stop and look. Um, so you need to bring somebody in to point out things that are not making any sense, provide you with some different ideas, and then also be able to deal with the well, no, that won't work. Well, how come that's a dumb idea? Well, no, hold on. Like, let's, let's, let's look at why you think this won't work because that's probably more about you than the actual idea. And so this is the fun part, right? And then getting people to create more understanding. And the best part is when you walk out and all of a sudden the team knows things they didn't know about each other. And they're looking at some new employee they never looked at before and people want to stay and it's just better. That's true. The right hiring can have really uh, exponential benefic- beneficiary effects on beneficial effects on any company where oh yeah it changes everything the entire mm-hmm. trajectory of your organization mm-hmm. and in and in as drastic a way as you know high as hiring bad people and how that pushes you down that slippery slope of just oh we got somebody else coming in or bad bosses or bad management. Now, Carrie, you've, uh, is this the first book that you've, uh, that you're releasing that you've authored? I, so I have two books. The first one I released in ebook format, um, it's called, it's called rock that interview and it helps you with a whole bunch of the stuff that we talked about and obviously goes a lot deeper. And then my other one actually coming out in the whole framework. So paperback, hard book. Yeah. I'm really excited about it is called knowing who you lead. And the concepts that we actually get need to get to know the people that we're leading, because like you said, we can leverage it in so many different ways. And in the end, it's going to make your life a lot easier. Leadership is really hard. Running organizations, very hard. Being an employee, super hard. Working on teams with people. So we need to start to understand who each other are. Just slow down the processes a little bit and let's invest some money, time in people. And it's, it's absolutely worth it. And how is the, the publication process? How's that been for you so far? Like actually working with. Loved it. Yep. Yep. Loved it. I've heard, you know, people call the, the book nightmare and no, not at all because I, I love podcasts. I love, so I listened to one and they talked about just remain curious Because when you write a book, it's kind of like, like you do your manuscript, this is your baby and it's all your ideas and your concepts and you give it to someone. Well, of course, they're going to give you feedback. Of course, they're going to say, I didn't understand this. You need to go further in this. I don't really like this. But I mean, that's just like our learning journey and anything else, right? So how do you approach that? Do you go, oh, well, get all defensive and angry and go to shame? Or do you stay curious and say, huh, that's kind of neat. All right, good point. Let me learn more about that. So I think it's great. It's been a fantastic process, been over a year and um, we'll be live in August. It'll be out on Amazon and Kobo and available at all your different bookstores. And I'm really excited. That's amazing. And yeah. uh, you also have a, a YouTube channel, don't you, where you have some resources and stuff for candidates. And- yeah, thanks for mentioning that because 
I think one of the pieces for me, equity and inclusion is very, very important. And so I recognize that, you know, people are coming at different points in their life. It's great to say here, invest in a coach, which obviously is a great thing to do, but maybe I can't afford that. Maybe that resume that I've been building up, I'm now negative $100,000. Like I've got a lot of debt. So, I mean, that's a reality. Um, so I tried to create enough content for people that to make it really affordable. So the YouTube videos, obviously completely free. I think there's like 24 or 25 of them now. Um, everything that, you know, people have asked me, candidates have asked me over the years, I've created a whole bunch of them. Um, and so again, it's just my name, Carrie Lynn Hodson, job interview coach. I've got a, um, uh, different videos there and I'm very open to people. S- send me a comment, tell me something that you're, you're wondering about another interview process you just got exposed to something you want me to answer. And I absolutely will do that for you. Um, and then on my website, I've got a lot of free resources too. Um, jobinterviewcoach.ca. I've created you like a template because everybody needs to get organized when it comes to interviewing. So you just threw out 25 different resumes. Well, now you need to sit down with the job posting and your resume and start to correlate all your examples and your experience and what they might ask you. And it can get really overwhelming. So um, I've got a free PDF you can download that'll help you do that too. And then my book, um, it's super affordable. It's That's why I did it in e-format. I didn't even, it's not even published per se. So you don't you just get it on your computer. It's nice and easy. So yeah, I think, uh, and then- a lot of people will then invest in the one-on-one coaching because that's that's the most fun. That's so much fun. We just do it right Zoom just like this. I've literally coached people. I have somebody uh, coming up uh, from Manitoba. Like it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what job you're shooting for. I do my research and I read your your job postings and your interviews. And I, you know, I understand conceptually what they're going to ask. But a lot of the work is, you know, your expertise my expertise is getting you to bring it across in the way that we need to in that interview. Bingo. And you know what? That's exactly what a great coach does really is like, how do you get your candidate? Like, how do you get that person to shine? Like they know so much. And you know what, as, as humans, there's some people who like to boast and who are really, Mm -hmm. well, I wouldn't say boast, but, uh, really they, they like to announce everything that they've done but majority of the people are really shy about just how awesome they can be what mm-hmm. they have to give and everything else so it's really wonderful when you get an opportunity to you, you can't replicate like i mean we live in a world where i mean your website jobinterviewcoach.ca is phenomenal because you have so many resources available you have presentations for interview prep you have access to your book you have you know your the sheet you put up there that you mentioned that basically takes you through like an organized checklist of okay you know these are the things that you really have to do but that's all you know information that you can it's almost passive if you want to call it because you 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 read it you present it in a way that you like that you think represents you best because then that's very subjective so there's Mm -hmm. no wrong answer but it's the practice element that you cannot miss out on that's really where the magic happens because once everything is done how do you really practice so like i asked this to uh, our last guest as well how many like you know when somebody's looking for and again like if you're looking for a career position that's paying you 60 80k 100k a, a nice starting point obviously you need to invest you have to be open-minded to investing in the process because again if you show that you've invested in recruitment 
it's going to translate to more success out in terms of the number of offers you receive or how far into the interview process your candidacies generally go on to. And again, you learn on from that. But what do you recommend in terms of like how many, and again, this varies because everyone has a different level of work they're coming in with, but what would be like uh, something that you would recommend if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you know what, Carrie, we needed some help. Uh, you know, we need to do this. So what would you recommend for some of your clients? Great question. And it really depends on the, on the client because I need, so the first thing I do is um, tell me about you, right? Oh, well, imagine I want to get to know the people that I'm going to be leading um, and figure out where they're at. So if it's a case of they don't understand the interview process at all. They've never done, maybe they've never done Canadian interviews. They've never done, um, they haven't done one in years or when they first applied, they didn't even have to do one. Then I am going to want them to start at, you know what, read the book or watch some of the videos or do my online course. Because what I used to do with candidates was I found myself trying to explain all of that stuff to them. A lot of what we've talked about today about how inter interview questions are designed, like we haven't even gone into, like there's so much to it no. that I always felt like I was kind of wasting their money and their time because you need to do this prep work. Well, you got to help yourself. Really right? good understanding. Self -help stuff. It's available. Like yep. I mean, you can hold somebody's hand and walk them through it if right. they want the assistance, but let's be real. If you're looking for work, odds are, you're going to be a little bit more mindful with how many resources, how much money you're going to spend on additional yep. services. I mean, just yep. again, yep. logically speaking, that would be the majority of the cases anyways. But I don't, I just don't find people approach interviewing in a logical process. It's strange. It's like, but we've never been trained it. We have, we don't think of it as a skill, but it's absolutely a skill. So there's that piece. So I need you to invest the time and the energy into, and, and I'm going to get you to, you know, you need to be able to explain this organization and this job that you're applying to, to me. So you've got some homework before you even start with me as far as coaching goes. Coaching sessions, it really depends. Um, it depends somewhat on the complexity of the job that you're going for. So if we're shooting more for like a higher level managerial job, I've written like literally thousands of interview questions. And I've written, you know, competitions that are high executive level um, to more um, kind of entry level where we're going to move you within the organization to supervisory, where I need you to explain like what you do now and why you'd be able to lead this, like this group. So like there's, I've written all those different interview questions and I know how complex some of them are. And I know what we're looking for, you know, am I looking, is this going to be a 15 minute or 20 minute interview, or is it going to be an hour and a half? Are we giving you a lot of scenario questions? Do I need to meet you to make multiple competency correlations? So if that's the case, then yeah, we're going to need a few sessions. Have you already interviewed a bunch of times? And so it's really just want to practice certain examples or are we kind of starting at the beginning? So, but what I tell people is like, you're literally investing yourself. You're not paying me. You're investing in you because the skills I give you, you are going to use from now on. Even if it's in a meeting with your boss, that's an interview. Like, it's not like interviewing stops once you get hired. The boss asks you to come in and say, okay, uh, you know, you, I saw that you were interested in purchasing this new software. Tell me why you think it's going to be usable for the, uh, for the business and how, we, how we're going to benefit from this. Well, it's an interview question. So if you've worked and 
know how to prepare, if you knew what you need to, you know, include in your answer, if you rehearsed your answer going into that meeting, you're going to rock it. If you freeze up, which is a very normal reaction because you didn't practice, now you walk out, not only are you not getting the software you wanted, but you feel, I didn't do very well and the boss thinks I'm incompetent, right? So I feel like there's skills that everybody should invest in. And you, you share, like, I mean, you, you come from a, you have that duality where you've been on the, you've been the HR manager, you've been that senior leader in human resources. You've done things as a candidate, you've worked mm -hmm. with candidates, so you understand the entire process. So it's wonderful. Karis, thank you so much for being on our show today. Um, you know, this was a really wonderful episode. I mean, um, I really appreciated just how the mind works and how the mm -hmm. process, the recruitment process works. Because like you alluded to, you know, there's um, like on your website, um, jobinterviewcoach.ca, your YouTube channel, uh, Carolyn Hodson, interview coach, other numerous resources. There's so much technical information, questions pertaining to your specific role, things like that. Like, you know, there's including in our podcast, we've had guests come on and talk about the technical details, but often we don't understand, you know, the bigger picture, the bird's eye view. Yeah. And I really appreciate you sharing all those insights with us. You know, I mean, you are a human resources leader. So uh, it, it's, it's, I wouldn't have expected anything less, but this was more than, uh, you know, how much information and value that you delivered in this podcast. And thank you so much for that. Oh, thanks. Yep. This is the stuff I love. Yeah. I really, I love watching people reach their highest potential. So it's why I do it. And I really encourage everybody to, you know, strive for that job that you want. What's your passion? Strive for it. Perfect. Thank you so much. That's a great attitude to have. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning into our episode today with Carrie. If you'd like to get in touch with her, you can visit her website at jobinterviewcoach.ca or you can visit our website at subjectmatterpros.com. And on the episodes page, you'll find links to her LinkedIn profile as well as her website. And in closing, um, thank you to our sponsors, ocsdeals.ca and branding and promo for their support. Thank you once again to our listeners until the next episode.